On today's episode, I am joined by a New York Times best-selling historian who is out with her brand new book, Off With Her Head. She traces back 3,000 years of our history to explain why society has conditioned women into subordination and how big tech algorithms perpetuate the gender culture wars. You're gonna wanna hold on to your seats for this one, guys. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Eleanor Herman and this is uncovering the truth. Eleanor, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Dash. Absolutely. Uh, let's just get right into it. You know, your book, Off With Her Head, essentially, it woke me up because <laughs> where, where I stand here, we're in a culture war. Currently, I believe the main culture war here in America is this battle of gender of man versus woman of should women be CEOs should women hold political power you know and and when your book I read it I'm like the plight of women has been going on for thousands of years so <laughs> I guess it, it seems to me is there some inherent fear or you know inherent misogyny in all of us that we need to undo through society or is this something that we can overcome one day because I mean, seriously, when does the plight end? Well, my question was, when and how did it begin? You know, I am a historian and uh, I've studied uh, ancient history. Uh, and, and I think that the misogyny goes back into the, the earliest parts of human um, existence. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be biological, genetic. Uh, it's going to be really tough to undo. But I think at this point, we are in a position in our society to, to try to undo it. And, and part of it is just realizing how misogynistic um, our civilization is and how, all of, how misogynistic all of us are. You know, mm -hmm. I've always considered myself to be a feminist. And in doing the work for this book, I, I realized that I, too, even I have misogynistic tendencies. Really? Like when I see a woman come on TV, I start judging her appearance. Like, ah, she needs more lipstick and that hair is wrong. You know, I don't do that for men. So, yes, it's yeah. with us. It doesn't mean we're bad people. We're just raised in a particular time and place and culture. And we just inhale this stuff. It's there. And so, yeah, right. The fact that you have even admitted that there, there are some in things inside of us that, right, like it's, an, it's a bad impulse where I'm like, hey, hey, don't judge them like that. Don't, it's it just, it's, it's, there's something inside of us that I don't understand. And it makes me mad at saying like human, we're not perfect. And there is a part of us that does always seek to dominate one another. And yeah, I'm just, is that, did that, how that's been going on though, since for thousands of years? Well, it, it has been. And my book traces um, the, the stories of many uh, powerful women, influential women who have, you know, in centuries past found themselves in positions of power. They were the queen or the queen mother or the queen consort. And, and the, the, there's a, a pattern of vilification against these women um, throughout time, you know, I trace it back 3,500 years in my book. Um, Cleopatra uh, certainly suffered the brunt of the Roman patriarchy. They made her a slut. They made her, uh, they blamed her for everything that Mark Antony did wrong. There's a theme of blame the woman throughout right. this. 
Uh, Marie Antoinette apparently caused the French Revolution with her fashion <laughs> excess, even though she had no uh, political power. And, and the misogyny against women in power is even worse in the past century when women were actually vying for power. They didn't marry it, they didn't inherit it. They went out there and threw their hat in the ring to run for public office. And, and the hatred is just so deep and so vicious. And now with social media, uh, someone can post some um, horribly hateful comment and it wings its way around the world in seconds. So it's, it's even worse now in some ways. I, I, I would agree with you. And you know what? I actually love that you, you brought up because you're, you were a historian and yet you brought up, this is towards the end of your book, but you, you focus on how algorithms today are, are putting forth these, you know, extremist ideas or rather these anti-feminist ideas, because a majority of users on the internet are young men, which which sort of brings me to my, my, next, my next point here. Influencers are now dictating how we think and feel. And there is a very prominent influencer named Jordan Peterson, who has, he, I, again, if you don't know him, I, just really quickly, he is a guy who has, he declares himself a postmodernist. And his argument is that women are, quote, more biologically agreeable than men. And therefore, it is not in their best interests to become CEOs. And the gender pay gap is uh, is a natural hierarchy. And so, though this guy, <laughs> this guy has permeated the minds of millions of young men, and I believe he's preying on their fears, their economic fears. And this is a social media problem. But how do you combat these sorts of voices? These these doctors and psychologists who just get a giant platform and begin to espouse anti-feminist rhetoric? Well, there are various ways. And, you know, this is this is just um, a new method of putting women back in their place. This is what it's it's yep. all about. Um, women, too, have the same option to get their own platforms. And there are many things uh, that can be be done today to uh, combat it. One is, you know, shame the shamers in mm -hmm. uh the Prime Minister of Australia from 2010 to 2013 was a woman named Julia Gillard, and she suffered the worst misogyny I, I, I've ever seen. I mean, they criticized the size of her butt, the size of her earlobes, her voice. I mean, they just everything she ever wore, uh, which you know, they never would have done. Uh, and this is mainstream press, not just social media. You know, yeah. They never would have done that to her male colleagues. They, they never they never did. And she, she and Hillary Clinton, like her in the 2016 election, thought, you know, I'm not going to dignify this with a response. I'm going to just politely uh, ignore it. And that was wrong. Both women said later that they realized that was a mistake. They need to get out there and say, this is absolutely unacceptable. Um, you know, this person is a, is a complete sexist and a a fool and fight back. That, that's one of the, the more important things that I think uh, women can do. There are also uh, media guides, at least for the mainstream media, that were helpful uh, somewhat in the 2020 election. Different women's political organizations sent them around to uh, the press and, and ask them before they publish anything, you know, are you criti criticizing a woman for her ambition? Something, by the way, men mm. are praised for, right? 
Are yes. you asking who's going to take care of the children? Like, as if, you know, there are no husbands, there are no <laughs> nannies, like only the, the children are going to starve if she's in politics. Are you talking about her weight loss or the shrillness of her voice? There are many excellent media guides that have gone out, and I think they have um, started to change the conversation, at least in the mainstream media. Well, that, that me, whoever controls the media controls the mind, right? And But, but what you're saying there about... Um, about you know women having to stay at home because I grew up with both of my parents at home so I never truly understood this it's like the woman's job it's it's not it's both parents are responsible for their child so but but today we see this 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 argument being placed forth that that the nuclear family is being dissolved by and large women seeking having career ambitions so that there's a sort of they're trying to justify women's subordination but to your point about Hillary Clinton, it seems to me that this was not even just men simply saying we don't want her. But in fact, there was a lot of women who who voted against her when in my mind, I'm like, that was the opportunity for a competent, qualified, smart woman who has served America to become the first female president and break the barrier. And they rejected her. And is there something to because uh, I'm, I'm just curious, as a man, is there something that women as well are gaining from this, what I'd call disinformation and sort of this propaganda to kind of keep them subordinated? Is there something they're yeah, gaining that know, I can't I, see? I, I do. I think there is. Um, and I think there's a feeling of comfort because that mm. is the role women have always played throughout all time in every culture in, in the world that you know, there is comfort from quote unquote, knowing one's place. And it did make, se make sense in centuries past when men were uh, off either chasing mastodons or they were at war that the woman would, you know, um, secure the home front and, and raise the children. Now, you know, society has changed greatly. It's, it's no longer necessary. <laughs> and I think there is comfort for a lot of women, you know, to, to take on that traditional role. Um, that's certainly their choice. But I, I think when they see women who are politically ambitious and successful, maybe there's a deep rooted jealousy. Maybe there's frustration that they didn't take that path. And, and it, it might not even rise to the conscious level, but it, it then takes a misogynistic form where they, they criticize these women. Now, you know, there, there is also wow. the issue of policy where I imagine a, a lot of women just didn't like, you know, Hillary's policies on immigration or taxation or whatever. And that's that's perfectly fine. My, my book does not get into mm -hmm. policy. Uh, and one thing I wrestled with while writing it is the question of how do I know when something is really misogyny or it's just that the individual who happens to suffer from chronic no penis syndrome, um, <laughs> You, you know, is is really not a, a good candidate or the policies are uh, are bad. So so what I came up with is if you if you replace um, imagine her as a man, would they say the same thing about him? And then that makes the, the misogyny question really clear. You know, I've, I came up with a list of statements um, that were from the recent two elections in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Imagine someone saying he should be a lot more modest. He does not have the right body type for television. 
Um, <laughs> men who are sweet, cheery, and non-confrontational will be more successful. Or my favorite one of all is he got his high position in the bed of a powerful woman. I mean, none of these things make sense, right? right when you reverse <laughs> the gender. So um, that really was helpful to me in, in a great way. Wow. When you reverse the role, I mean, just it doesn't it doesn't compare. We do it, view, it, we it, do view them differently, the genders. Imagine if Donald Trump was a woman named Donna Trump. Right. And she was she was overweight. She had an orange face. She had a fantastically cantilevered yellow hairdo. She was always <laughs> boasting that only she could solve all the problems of the country. She had uh, grabbed men's private parts and boasted about it. She had been married three times and unfaithful to all three. <laughs> and do you think she, that Donna Trump would have won? I think clearly no. no. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I hope not. No, no. I, I think they, they would call him a laughing or call her a laughing stock. Right. And, and yet this they person do. is abrasive, um, horribly obnoxious, boastful, ambitious, like all of that. Big. Right. And, what, yes. and her hips are too big and her face mm. isn't right. You know, but they just, they don't, they don't do it to men. No, I, and I, that is the, that's the mystery. And, and really what we're talking about here are these kind of invisible enemies that hold women back. And so I, I guess I wanted to take it back to two people you talked about in your book who I had studied actually quite a bit. Uh, there is Hatshepsut uh, of ancient Egypt and then Jezebel, right. Of, of ancient yeah, Mesopotamia, yeah. I believe. And what was interesting about, well, I love you to tell the story, but Jezebel used, uh, she tried to escape the monotheistic society of the Yahweh God. And she, she believed there was more people you could believe in. And she was thrown out of a window and executed and killed by dogs <laughs> versus Hatshepsut did the same. She played the ideological card. She, she had a divine connection to her father, the king. And because of that, they propelled her to the throne. So would you say religion has held women back as well? Or, or, or is religion just a non- category factor when it comes to this uh, overcoming misogyny? Oh, no, religion certainly has um, kept women uh, in their place. Just, let's just look at um, Genesis in the Bible, okay? Mm. God created Adam and Eve. He put them in this paradise uh, garden. He said, don't eat this particular fruit. Uh, Eve talks to the serpent, thinks maybe they should eat it. Uh, she tells Adam, let's eat this fruit. He says, okay. And they both get blasted and sent out of the garden. And God puts a, an angel with a flaming sword to prevent them from ever getting back in. So, you know, the, the early Christian church and, and through until fairly recently, at least in the, into the 19th century, blamed all women for mm. Eve's sin of disobedience. Now, since we're blaming all women for Eve's disobedience, why don't we blame all men for being clueless idiots because he knew he wasn't supposed to eat the fruit. And he said, okay, <laughs> you know, like he's just dumb, right? Mm -hmm. so, so it's all, there's a theme of blame the women. I mean, it started in probably well before Gen Genesis, but Genesis is one of the earliest texts where it's, it's really clear. Um, so yeah, religion and just about, you know, everything else has been set up to, to keep women in their place, which is making dinner for men, raising men's children, keeping men's house, N nothing wrong with that. But, you know, some women want to do something else. Why not let them? Correct. So that is the, but that is the exact point that 
people throughout history have said that, no, 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 they actually don't want it. It's against their best interests. And then society, the feminists are the, are their misleading women. So I'm, I'm just fascinated that because I even there was a Hitler 1934 speech that he gave to the National Socialist Women's League, where he said the best of times for Germany were when men need not fear being ousted from their position by women. And at the same time, women had no need for this, quote unquote, emancipation, which was a, an idea from the Jewish intellectuals. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> so there's no. always this. There's men telling women that, hey, you actually don't want to be a CEO. You don't want this. Right. So when my father got out of college in 1950, he, uh, he went to the, uh, the top newspaper in Baltimore and he got a job as an editor. Now, you know, I guess it was between him and two other white male Christian guys, right? It wasn't hard. And these days, you know, it is more difficult if you're, uh, you know, a, a white guy, because there are women, there are people of color, right? There, there are just, there's, there's so much more competition. And I think that a lot of the, um, the sexism and God knows racism in this country that we're seeing is a result of white men feeling, you know, really threatened that they're, they're losing their position. But if you take a step back from that and you just look at the, the overall economic good of the country, keeping 50% of the people locked up, keeping them home, uh, perhaps brilliant scientists and doctors, and you know, you'll never realize that talent. You'll never realize um, the economic profitability that can come from it. So I don't think it's a good idea overall to, to keep us home cooking and cleaning. <laughs> no, horrible, horrible for the country. And and just like you were saying, I think you, you touched on something here that this is predominantly a white male fear. They call it white fright. And if we look at even more women nowadays are attending university than men for the first time ever. And I, I just, I do believe that a lot of this misogyny today comes down to fear of, ec of economic security, that your job is going to be taken by a woman, but because she's qualified, not because she's a woman, because she has more qualifications. So mm -hmm. this, this, this instead of, and like you said, the religion, Genesis, they blame the women, but the men should be blamed as well for being weak. Like you, <laughs> you were weak and, and not even, and, and it's time for you to, to accept this world that we're in right now should include women and minorities because we are all human beings. So the white male hegemony is crumbling, but that's not a bad thing. That is a, that was a, a established hierarchy that needs to be dissolved. Right. And I think a lot of what we're seeing, you mentioned at the start of the show, um, you know, just all of the, the, the social upheaval, you know, that that's going on. Um, and and I think that it, we may be hearing the bellowing of a gravely wounded dinosaur, right? He, he, yeah, he's, ruled he the earth. he's ruled the earth for uh, uncontested for tens of thousands of years. And he suddenly understands the possibility of his own extinction. He's not gonna rule the earth anymore. And he's mm -hmm. raging against the dying of the light. I, I think that that is what we're, we're seeing right now. I love that. Yes, I, I specifically remember that line from the book. <laughs> um, and one other thing from from off with their head, you mentioned a very brief statistic, but I was fascinated by it. And you said that through from 1915 to 1930, the word, quote, bitch, was used more than double in America. 
And now that was right, uh, you know, coinciding with the, the First World War, the economic problems, the Great Depression, which led into the Second World War. And so I'm seeing this kind of this cyclical relationship between women's rights. And you, at the same time, this is when they were, were granted suffrage in America. So there's this cyclical nature of when women get more rights, then the pushback comes, then the economy tanks, and they blame women for taking jobs in minorities. So where do you think we sit today, currently, in, in not just our political climate, but here in America as a society? Are we at the apex of, of this push through for women, or is it going to get worse and this culture war is going to continue? I think the culture war is going to continue. It's, um, it's just so deeply ingrained in all of us. You, you know, when you when you look at racism in this country, um, racism in the world, really, uh, it goes back maybe 500 years. It was used to justify the enslavement of Africans. If you said they were stupid and they were lit, you know, all of that, then you could justify doing that to these human beings. Yeah. Um, misogyny, as far as I can tell, goes back to the cave. You know, it's going to be real hard to dig that out of us, out of every book, every movie, uh, you know, so it, it's going to continue. And we have made great progress. We can vote. We can be CEO. It's it's still hard. We're, we're not... Uh, well represented in the Fortune 1000 companies or in politics, but it's it's a slow and steady climb despite the culture wars. I think it will continue. I agree. And like you were saying with the Fortune 500, I know that it is a record-breaking amount of women which in who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and it is a whopping 41 out of 500. <laughs> so only right, well, 8 percent so. you know it used to be zero so i it's, it's not too bad but i wanted to just talk for a moment if i can about sure. you know the ways to take women down to keep yeah. them Please. in their place so as you've seen in my book um I, I came up with something i call the misogynist handbook it's <laughs> yeah. it's unwritten unwritten rules that have been used for thousands of years you know to to take down a powerful women. Um, mm. And uh, one of them is to uh, call her sexually depraved. She's a whore. She's a nympho. Mm. She's a slut. You mentioned uh, Jezebel in, in the Bible. And, you know, Jezebel is the byword for a slutty woman, right? She's known as the slut of Samaria. Uh, and it, it was because of a few verses in Kings where she, this guy was coming to kill her. He had just killed her son, the king. So she was clearly an older woman. Um, and she, she looks out the window, she puts on eye makeup and does her hair. And, uh, and then they end up throwing her out the window and, and killing her. But because she put on her eye makeup and did her hair, people, the story has come down to us that she was trying to seduce this guy, the new king, right? And the fact is, uh, she was most likely getting ready to die like a queen. She wanted her murderer to know exactly who he was killing. But for thousands of years, you know, Jezebel means a slutty woman. If you just, she may have been in her yeah. 60s, right? And it, she knew he had just murdered her son. It's not likely she was going to try to have sex with this guy to save her life. So there are stories like this throughout history that I found um, that, that are you know, just pretty shocking. So we talked about ambition, women shouldn't have any, men are praised for it. I have one chapter called, why doesn't she do something about her hair, which looks at all the ways women are criticized for their appearances that men are not. Uh, women have dangerous and unruly female hormones, right? Oh. So they can't be, they can't be trusted. 
their voices are shrill and annoying. They're mysteriously unlikable. They're witches, they're bitches. In some cases, they're murderers. You know, and in other cases, it's literally off with her head. You know, women, women yeah. have died as a result of sexism. And and like you're saying, there there's no um, there's for some reason there's no physical uh, judgment that we place onto male leaders. I don't know why it is. Yes, if he's fat, if he's loud, if he's ugly, I don't care as long well, as he and, and as long voice, as he has power. Right, like, and the voices too. Hillary Clinton was so criticized for her voice, which I I mean it seems fine to me, but you know listen to Bernie Sanders, right? Listen to Donald Trump ranting and raving. I mean they're not pleasant voices but they've never, oh. <laughs> i have never heard either one of them criticized for their voice and hillary has been raked over the coals she actually went to uh you know to voice training and she's still she was even criticized on msnbc i mean please i know well the mainstream media is is the worst <laughs> i don't watch even the most liberal, liberal media yeah is women candidates at times I, I, they can't help it. I think it, they have to uh, play to the audience and try to give them the red meat and those those big articles about her pantsuit. Or uh, it's just I I'm just amazed that we, in, even voting for presidents, it's like the, the things we think about are not qualifications. It's about personality. It's about looks and how we feel about them at the end of the day, which is which is absurd absurd qualifications to put on someone to be the head of the most powerful country in the world well it it really is and the interesting thing is a, a recent study came out by the um the barbara lee uh, family foundation which is an organization to it's non uh, part, partisan so it helps women both um you know republicans and democrats to gain uh political um office and they they found that women have to be really likable to get elected um, and that's a hard, that's a tightrope, right? I mean, they have to show certain strength, but not too much because then they're unfeminine, right? Yeah. Um, they have to show a certain amount of femininity, but not too much because then they'll be seen as weak. Whereas male candidates do not need to be likable. As a matter of fact, you know, many people who voted for Donald Clearly. Trump didn't like him, but they, they liked his uh, policy on a strong border or on um, you know, taxation or the economy. So, mm -hmm. so that, that's another disconnect. You know, why can't women be unlikable, but yet strong leaders who, who might have the policy positions voters want? Even someone like Margaret Thatcher, right? They called the Iron Lady. Like they gave them, they make it, they portray them to be like almost men. Yes. And that's, that's what you taught. I've just, I thought that was interesting in your book how, yes, they have to walk the tightest rope. You can't be overambitious. You can't be weak. You have to be a mother at home, but you also can't be only at home because then how are you going to work for the country or the company? Right. <laughs> so, and and so let me ask as a, as a woman, are there, this, these are, these are the, like, is there a training for, for women to succeed in a man's world? Or is there, what is the advice that you give to someone who looks at where we are right now and saying, how am I ever supposed to, you know, succeed in this world. Even as a man, I find it hard, but as a woman, oh, yeah. you know, I think it's hardest for women running for political office. Yes, it's, you know, it can be um, difficult in the business world, but, you know, when you're running for office, you're, I mean, you're in the mainstream media, you're all over social media, you have to deal with criticisms that you wouldn't if you were just trying to be vice president of a bank, right? right. And there are um, training programs for uh, women candidates, you know, what to say, what to not wow. say, you know, how to dress, how to 
deal with all the, the sexist comments um, flung at them. There, there is training uh, in particular for them to put up with the vicious nature and the, the threats on social media so that they know what they're getting into. You know, a lot of women just quit because they, they you know, their family is threatened, their children are threatened, they just can't deal with it anymore. So um, candidates have to be really tough this day and age. And let me add to that, they, the other side, the anti-feminists, they want you to quit. They want you to quit. And then they can tell you, see, women aren't supposed to be, they can't take the attacks. They can't handle right. the, the pressure. Men are more thick skinned. And it, it just reinforces this unfortunate belief that women are not cut out to hold these powerful positions in politics. And yes, that's true. They want us to quit because you know, and I don't know if this reaches the level of conscious thought. It could be just something that's subconscious and then sort of manifests without them knowing it. But I, I think that they um, they don't want the competition. They want to be like my dad in 1953, white mm -hmm. men waiting for an interview to see which one is going to get the job rather than thousands of people, male and female and maybe transgender and black and white and Hispanic, you know, so they, it's, you know, I think it was a, a nicer world for them yeah. when it was 1950. Yeah. And, and when you hear the political slogans, you know, take us back again, that's, I think that's what they want, right? They want, <laughs> yeah. they want the wife in the kitchen, making a, a lovely dinner, prepare, you know, making a lovely house, Right. for them um and and they they don't want uh they don't want people of color to compete with them either no because they uh again it comes back to that sort of their manlyhood is being threatened their economic power and again i i think it's great to have historical perspective that you offer in in your book that is sometimes neglected it, it shows it just again like i said at the beginning it showed me like just reminded me boy we've come a far way of course, from, from, from back in those days, but we are still like, I just can't believe that we're still having to have these conversations about, you know, gender equality at the end of the day. Like there, there are still people. And by the way, let me, let me ask this. Is there an ideal, like if on the, uh, could this work on the flip side? If a female candidate were to run and say, I'm against abortion, let's build the wall. And they, 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 they took on the Donald Trump personality, but they were a female. Would that have the same effect? I mean, it's, you know, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think um, those who, who like Trump could could get behind that to a certain extent. And yet there would probably be a lot a lot of, of male um, MAGA supporters who who wouldn't. Uh, right. I, I think it would be difficult. And I think, you know, I, I think the reason Joe Biden won in 2020 was because he was a white male. I think if yeah. the nominee had been a woman or a person of color, I think Trump would have won that election, even if they had the exact same you know, policies and plans as Biden had. I agree. And it, it kind of it brings me back. This was an interesting uh, big pop culture thing where the Elizabeth Holmes story came out. And what was interesting is she had changed her voice changed her, you know, she, she adapted the deep voice kind of like a man and, and she succeeded heavily. Now it was, it was a very nefarious company and she was, it was like medical fraud, but it was, it was interesting to just see that uh, a woman who took on this sort of like 
male aggressive, what we consider male and aggressive and it worked. And so what does that say about our society that we reward these abrasive, aggressive males who just like to squash people and will, will engage in like, you know, fraudulent activity and it, and it can turn out some good financial profit for you. Right. Right. Well, you know, usually when women become aggressive, either in politics or the workplace, they are harshly criticized for, I mean, not even aggressive, let's just say assertive. They're called, you know, a bitch, a witch. Um, Whereas, whereas men are often praised for being, you know, good, good businessmen or tough politicians. So um, I I think it's, it's, she's a a unique case in, in some respects. You talked about a witch there, because I remember that in your, in your book, you talk about how that is a common word slurred at women, calling them a witch. Is there some religious sentiment behind that? Or wh- why does that imagery maybe so powerful? And even going back to like the Medusa, how does that, how does that play into the, the plight of women? You know, I, I traced it back thousands of years to our earliest history where, you know, men do have greater physical strength, clearly, and they would go out and hunt. Mm-hmm. And the women were the ones who would, you know, coax the, um, the, the fruits and vegetables out of the earth, right, and, and make the food. And, and they were the only ones who could bring life forth from their bodies. For all of the physical strength, you know, men cannot do that. So, so women were always seen in the, in the world's most ancient cultures that we know of as being magic, and the earliest uh, statues that go back 30,000 years are of women with enormous hips. Some of them seem to be you know, giving birth. The earliest temples are you know, clearly fertility temples. Um, and at a certain point, men turn that, that biology into weakness, you know? Oh. Um, and, and so like women, um, women are, um, you know, prone to mood swings from menstruation and pregnancy and menopause and, and, and what happens to them once a month is foul and disgusting slime. And I, and I trace the whole story um, of that. But I, I do think that the, the, the witchcraft story goes back to our ability to, to bring forth life. And it's, and it's still with us. You know, when, whenever a woman um, tosses her hat in the ring for a political office, within hours, you see the memes of her on a broom with a green face, long nose with a word on it, and a black pointy hat flying around. And that never happens with a man. I mean, ask yourself, what is the male equivalent of witch? Warlock? That's just sort of a lame thing, right? There is... He, even the Bible, I believe it was the book of Exodus says, thou shalt not suffer a sorceress to live or a witch. So it doesn't <laughs> say warlock or sorcerer. It's a feminine ending, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's always been this fear that we have, you know, witchy magic powers that, that men don't have. And if that had been true, you think we would have gotten somewhere higher, faster, long ago. <laughs> right. I, I clearly, and then, and, and off. Uh, one point you, you just brought up about the witch, it's about the kind of their, their sexual power as well. And I get this is a kind of a free for all discussion, but I, I see it going around because right now there is a repudiation of cancel culture, which in my mind, or not in my mind, what, it, what cancel culture is, is that predatory, predatorial men are being ousted from their jobs for sexually abusing women. This is something that should be celebrated. Um, but then I've also, there are also social scientists 
who there's Michael Mann. He has his four sources of power. There's ideological, economic, military, political. And I had a professor at UCLA. Her name was Kara Cooney. I'll cite her because she was great. And she said, there is a, a source of sexual power that women can and should wield in society. And I thought about it. I'm like, they actually, if you're in a man's world, you should do whatever it takes to try to make it because that's what men do to make it, right? So would, would you say something like the use of sexual power is a, is a real thing? And if so, is it okay for, for women to, to use their, I know that's kind of a crazy question, but is that, that's okay. legitimate. We're fair play here. So my first book was called Sex with Kings came out in, I don't know, 2004, perhaps. Um, and it looked at the lives of Europe's royal mistresses. So hundreds of years ago, if you were uh, an intelligent and ambitious woman, uh, you were not allowed to attend university, you were not allowed to run for parliament. Um, the only way you could really wield power is by sleeping with the smelly old king, right? And then you get <laughs> castles and diamond necklaces and all, all of this. Um, and I think at the time, that's perfectly understandable. These women right. did what they had to do to get to where they wanted to go. I think this day and age, when we do have a good semblance of equality in many cases, you know, a woman can get her doctorate in political science. She can run for office. She can become mm -hmm. anything. It is probably going to be a bit harder than it is with men. I, I just, I don't really think that, you know, <laughs> I think a woman <laughs> using sex for, for position um, is no longer needed and, and should be discouraged. It, it, then the woman walks right into the old um, slut archetype. You know, she's Correct. a Jezebel. She, you know, so I, I don't really think that's a good idea these days. No. Right. I, I agree. I, I just, I guess I was just fascinated thinking about from, from that point of view of like, wow, what, I mean, what do you, you have to pull off some sort of miracle to, to, to be successful in the, in a man's world. And like, there's just so, yeah, but that's a, it's a bad tool, but it's, 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 it's interesting. Like just the, the cancel culture and every, even the, the Amber Heard try, it was, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing just a constant warfare against women about sex, about them using their sexuality and including, you know, the abortion has been overturned at the federal level. And I'm like, there are forces out there who are ruthlessly trying to stifle women's sexual freedom. And so, well, if you want to see the intent of a thing, look at the result, because sometimes mm -hmm. it can be chaotic with all of these conversations swirling around our heads. So the result of Dobbs is going to be that um, thousands and thousands more American women are not going to be able to go to college. And um, they're not going to be able to go into the career path that they want and compete with men. They're going to be home with children. Um, and I think that's going to be uh, the result. And I think that's, um, I, I, you know, I'm sure many people are concerned about babies and, and all of that. But I think overall, the, the message is to put women in their place. Why? I, I, I'd be honest, I did not even think about that from that perspective of, of them being forced to stay home with their perhaps their rapist's baby, right? Uh, they have or or a severely deformed baby who deformed. Uh, under normal circumstances, they would have, you know, terminated the, the pregnancy. You know, a lot of children um, require around the around the clock care. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the mother may choose to to not proceed with that, that 
you know, her whole life would pretty much be over at that point, but now she has no choice. So she won't mm -hmm. be there with the three white guys, um, you know, applying <laughs> for a job. She'll be home taking care of the, uh, the handicapped child. Yeah. And it's, and it's by design and it's like, uh, so th th there it is. So there is a constant pushback to try to, to, to put women back in their domestic quote unquote roles that, that we as men have assigned to them. You know, it was a much more comfortable life for men. I, I get that. You know, yep. if you watch Leave it to Beaver and the father comes home and there's the wife in a in a big hoop skirt and an apron uh, cooking dinner and the house looks lovely and the children have done their. I mean, yeah, it must have been a great life for the white guys back then. We're in a different world now and we need to realize that. Um, you know, they can cry cancel culture all they want. It's a, it's a buzzword when you take a moment to really <laughs> look at it. You right. know, things have been canceled going back thousands of years when they no longer work for a particular society. We canceled slavery in 1865. <laughs> you know, was, yes. was that a, a bad thing? Uh, there are a lot of things that um, should be canceled. Correct. And, and, and it's and it's important to stay loud. And, and like you said, to, to tie this back to the beginning, uh, to shame, to shame the, these people who try to who try to say cancel culture is bad. It's to shame them for for trying to to take us back to the traditional nuclear American families, because if we stay silent, they win because they are aggressive in their agenda to right. to put we, it we back need, in their need place. need to be just as loud. Yeah, our voices need to be heard over all of that cacophony of cancel culture and let's go back to 1850 or whatever it is that they want to do. And they would they would they would be happy to to go off with her head. I believe if they if they could codify it into law. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that's next after Dobbs, you never know. The yeah, executions in the <laughs> well, only only not only if you, you stay loud and, and you keep writing these books. This is important. <laughs> Thank we you. We need to learn the history of how we got here and, and how we can overcome this moment, hopefully once and for all, or at least stay in power to silence those other voices. I, you know, I think it's not a bad thing that there's a variety of voices out there. There, there always has been. They're louder because of uh, social media. And, um, you know, the way things always used to be is that there were all of these opinions and some, you know, some of them were extreme outliers. And then we'd sort of come, we, we'd end up agreeing on something in the middle. Um, and that it's not really that anymore. It's like there's, there's barely a middle. It's just two extreme sides. So I, I do hope that... You know, once these upheavals die down, we, we, we can just sort of go, go. I mean, I, I've always been a moderate. I've Me considered too. myself middle of the road. Somebody in this country shifted the road so far to the right. I, I'm where I've always been, but I find myself in left field. And it's, you know, I'd sort of like to, if we're going to take it back, I'd like to take it back to the politics of, you know, 30, 40 years ago, where, where right. we can all sort of agree on basic issues. I agree. Yeah, it's definitely I, I'm a middleman myself. And I don't like the I'm I'm very fed as much as I'm involved politically, I'm so fed up with the it's exhausting. And it's killed our it's that's what's really killing our our culture and our ability to to communicate with those who share different opinions. It's impossible you know, and, today. And the nastiness and the threats of violence. Um, you know, we right. never used to have that. Of course, we never had social media, but people are just behaving so very badly. We can disagree on inflation and taxation and the borders and a host of things, but we don't need to threaten to, you know, to, to skin each other alive and hang each other and shoot each other. We, we don't need to do that. 
<laughs> no, and I, and I'm really quickly about this social media because you know from your as a historian is do you think social media because I believe social media will it's it's very dangerous and bad that it can amplify bad voices but at the same time it can now give women and and likewise other you know good men right it can give good voices the chance to override and and send right. a good message technology like that you think would you say that's progress for women yes you know it's like that old saying um you know a a, a knife could be used to kill or in a surgeon's hands to heal so mm. social media is this neutral thing and people put stuff on it, negative, positive, whatever. So yes, for all of the negativity that is out there and will probably continue to be out there for some time to come, you know, we, we, we can put a different spin on it. We can fight it. Uh, you know, we, we can write positive things about what these women are doing and what we want for our country. We can shame the shamers who are threatening these women and their families. You know, it can be used pretty much for, for everything. And I just think that, you know, people of goodwill need to be louder. You know, we have a tendency to just not want to deal with, you know, vicious memes and, and uh, posts, and we're going to need to to step up and, and deal with that. Yeah, we're going to need to get tough. Well, Eleanor, thank you so much for, for coming on. I am now a fierce protector. We will never let them go off with her head ever again. We will, <laughs> we will not return to the dark ages. Thank you so much, Dash. I really enjoyed talking with you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about uncovering the truth by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, I will continue to uncover the truth. The Uncovering the Truth theme song was created and produced by Pokari.